Hi, and welcome back to OA on Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kayan Isaacson. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Macero, an interview with representatives of River's Edge, an exciting development in Medford, and in two minutes with Tom, Tom reflects on developments this week from the Department of Justice. First up, 321 Go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, business, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, we'll talk about fast-moving developments with the coronavirus, and it's Valentine's week, we'll talk about flowers. Finally, Shakir Gregory joins us to talk about neologisms, colloquial phrases that move at the speed of light because of digital and social media. Joining me here on 321 Go is Cayenne Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA On Air. Cayenne, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. It's Valentine's week, but I have a feeling it's not that important to you. It's not. We'll learn more about that later. <laughs> All right, Cayenne, let's get right into the tough stuff. Coronavirus, COVID-19. Cases have increased nearly tenfold, and maybe because they are adjusting how they are reporting but and testing and testing but increased tenfold literally overnight um uh the number of 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 deaths increased dramatically literally overnight um by about 240 uh new deaths this crisis is absolutely reaching frightening proportions if it hadn't already yeah what's really interesting is uh so for reference, we're recording this on Thursday. So yesterday on Wednesday, the Washington Post lead on the coronavirus was rate of new coronavirus infections slows, but China remains largely shut down. Today, China's leaders shake up political ranks as coronavirus cases near 60,000, and Japan announces its second virus fatality. So in 24 hours, the tone and lead and headlines connected to this illness and virus totally changed yeah on its head and the, and the number it's of deaths covid-19 now covid-19 covid-19 the, the number of deaths was around 1000 1100 it? now it's at 1100 uh, as of yesterday it was 1113 nearly all of which were in china all in china so um, but I, japan announced its second fatality yeah, today it it seems to be moving very quickly it still say pales in comparison to the total number of deaths from from f- influenza mm-hmm. this year, but you know what, it, it it it's it's got this dynamic where it is moving so quickly, um, and manifesting itself in ways that are really terrifying. Yeah, you know, um, and for the economy, I mean. The, well, let's the talk about that because the economic impact in China must be absolutely devastating. Literally, in, entire sectors of the economy have to be shut down. Think about retail. Think about. F- food service. They, mm-hmm. they, I mean, people are not leaving their homes. No, and um, people aren't going to work, uh, period. Uh, if you're not quarantined, people are being told to work from home. So, you know, while office things can continue, but your day-to-day things that require interacting with people, to your point, retail, food service. Small um, merchants. Medical services. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are, there's a province that's, that's quarantined and nobody's going there. Um, 
you know, just the, the detrimental effects it has, yes, on the economy in China, and then obviously there's a trickle down to the economy worldwide, but uh, just their society and their culture and their way of being and living and how they kind of come, come out of this when the time comes remains to be seen in terms of the long term and just severe detrimental effects it's had. Now, the Chinese government has come under significant uh, scrutiny and criticism, and as you, as you, as you mentioned, um, uh, top government officials have been replaced. For the way this has been handled, for the way it's been communicated, I, I think that there are absolutely lessons here into, uh, as far as how you manage a major public health crisis and, and the fact that it almost never is appropriate to suppress information if doing so is going to interrupt the process of informing people, um, uh, understanding the scope of it, uh, you know, uh, being supportive to the treatment uh, of people. All those things are impacted when you're, oh, we don't want to create panic or we don't want the world to think that something is really, really wrong here. Well, it, it's the opposite because, you know, Aid needs to flow into China to help. This is a, this is a global threat mm-hmm. at this point to some degree. It potentially is. So it isn't just about this one country with a humongous population. Um, and, and I think that that's an important lesson because... Well, and the, the argument is that for weeks they kind of sat on this, I think, or just didn't handle it properly, didn't respond to it effectively. Uh, the doctor that raised the concerns about it was basically admonished. Um, for bringing those concerns forward. And to your point, you know, I think a and lot he, of... He has since he di- has died since from the virus, from yeah. Just um, and which is... It's very strange when you think about the idea of we don't want to create panic and hysteria. And we've heard that from people before and on smaller scales, you know, people that have, a, have an issue. How do you balance letting people know and educating people so people can be prepared... And do the and do what needs to be done, and not create panic and hysteria. And I, I think we we know and have seen it can be accomplished. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, in the long run, people you know people are dying, and and that's un, that's unacceptable. Yeah. When perhaps something could have been done to prevent it. Yeah. Speaking of sort of you know fear and hysteria, or just the things that pe- that, that that people become concerned about. I mean, I know that. As a result of this, certainly um, there are precautions people need to take and that people are taking, particularly when it comes to travel and overseas travel. Um, but there's things that I'm, I just I don't feel like I'm in a rush to do that I might have done. I don't do a lot of travel, mm-hmm. um, but, I, but uh, I, I went to Europe just, just last April, but I, I don't do a lot of travel. I, I don't feel like I'm in a rush to, to travel overseas right now. Yep. Forget about just China, just anywhere. Just I feel like it, it seems like an unnecessary risk if I don't have to travel right now. I, honestly, I don't feel... I, I've, I've never been on a cruise ship. It, it isn't something that was on my bucket list. I don't feel I ever will. It's off Because it's, it's off the off. table. This feeds into the primary fear, other than, God forbid, some terrible catastrophe on a, on a ship... Uh, sinking or something like that. Really, the real fear of just being trapped, of being trapped at sea or even at port. You can't, you know. You know um, can't get off. Uh, I saw a couple of Americans being interviewed on CNN. Uh, they're on this this um, ship and they're in port, and they've been told, "Oh, 
you'll probably get off the boat February 22nd. And it's like, oh, okay, that's a long way away. Yeah. To be, and there's a finite number of resources. There really is. So it's, I don't, I don't feel that that's something I'm going to rush to do and, and maybe never again. Have you been impacted in a way like that where you're like, mm, I'm going to have second thoughts about this, that, or the other thing, just because um, of, of, of... Cruise ship was never really on my list. Yeah. My husband spent a lot of time on a ship when he was in the Marine Corps, so he's done with that. That was never a consideration that we're able to make, so that's not a thing. Um, I'm flying this weekend to Florida. Okay. Um, I'm flying but, in, in April to but, Texas. But I mean, I'm certainly, and I've, I'm, you know, I have a six-year-old, so I'm, I try to be good. I'll probably be a little bit more diligent about, you know, sanitizing the, the seat and wiping it down and the tray and all of that while we're at the airport and traveling. Um, but other than that, I don't feel a direct And I, I know it's, you know, potentially a smart step, but I bet you don't really feel like having your family wear surgical masks on the plane i don't i might i might look around and see what like how many people might be doing that to yeah. see, like, i'll report uh, back yeah i'll let you know yeah, report back because I, I, I gotta think about that because i'm like <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to be a surgical mask guy yeah i also think that would kind of freak my son out to be quite honest you think um, so <laughs> hey, like then i'm like, creating my own paint little a smile, hysteria paint a smiley face on it like this yeah. is fun no um but it is a reminder Everybody, wash your wash hands. your hands. Just wash your hands, and you know, basic don't, sanitary don't considerations. Um, because no. it, you know, COVID nineteen. But as you said earlier, more people have died, especially in the U.S., strictly from just influenza. Yeah. Um. So you know, if that's a reminder for all of us from a public health, wash those hands. Twenty to thirty yeah. seconds. What are you supposed to? You're supposed to sing a song or Not say the hard. pledge of allegiance. Hot water, soap. <laughs> Scrub it up. Yeah. That's our PSA from uh, from the crew here at Away on Air. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cayenne. Thanks a lot. All right, Cayenne. This episode drops February 14th. That's Valentine's Day. You know what that means? Flowers. Flowers. And candy. Flowers. Um, and why not go to 1-800-Flowers.com? No, it's not a plug. It's a segue into a very interesting story <laughs> about the clunkiest named company ever. Yes, how 1-800-Flowers.com. Yes, that's the headline. How 1-800-Flowers.com became one of the biggest clunkiest names in Valentine's Day gifts. Um, but it's true. Who would have thought that the biggest website for, I mean, I th- probably for flowers generally, but they, you know, Valentine's Day, they expect $2.3 billion in sales on flowers across the board, not just on this website, but that we have today in the world of, you know, an Etsy and and sort of short and cute and memorable 1-800-Flowers.com is is still the leading website for for so many people around flowers and gift giving that now they also do teddy bears and gifts and gourmet snacks and treats and candies and it's like one-stop shopping. Did not start like a, start as a website. Didn't even start really as a phone number. The no. company, a guy in New York, nineteen seventy six, starts at one, opens a florist shop, and says, "You know what? There's like no McDonald's for florists," and buys another and another, and then he almost he's got thirty, and and Here and he's are. off and running, and now it makes it one point two point one point two billion dollars in revenue expected this year. Um, it's it's pretty amazing, and and you know. The 800 number, which at the time, right in the early 80s, was was probably, you know, 
the number a major driver of national business, and 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 they still use it to market uh, to market the company. But now it's become this website, and yeah, that URL is it's it's memorable, it's direct, it makes sense, but it it's clunky. It's you know it's a number. And it's it a, you know, sounds out of date. Oh yeah, in a well, in exactly. a in a world where. Yeah, yeah. That is everything is changing. It's like movie phone, you know. Yeah. It sounds like movie yes. phone. Yes. Oh, remember the remember when you had to call it? Welcome to movie it phone. It takes forever. Times. You know? Oh gosh, that was the worst. Um, but yeah, one eight hundred flowers began ten years ago. Before it even became a phone number, I had no idea. I always assumed it was a phone number. Yeah. It was a phone service for ordering flowers. Um, so the question is, are you a big? Do you, are you going to order flowers? Do you order flowers for your wife on? On Valentine's Day? I definitely buy flowers. I have ordered them. D- it depends. Uh, uh, you know, I've used that kind of service or another one, Pro Flowers or whatever. This year, I'll, I'm gonna I'll be buying them at a local florist. I like to do that also. It kind of depends just on how how far ahead I think. What's going on? What's going on? But mm-hmm. I will. You know, it's it's a standard thing. Flowers, less chocolates, sort of less so, but uh, definitely flowers. You know, and I'm not I'm not just a flowers only on Valentine's guy. I like, my, you know, my Good wife man. likes flowers. Um, so I try to, I try to, you Just know. because flowers are better than Just because they're definitely flowers. Better. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, How about that's, no? that's my personal PSA. What's today? your favorite as a, uh, you know. As a flower? As a, no, as a spouse who, no, no. What's your favorite? Like, do you like to get flowers? You like certain flowers? I would rather flowers? flowers on a random Tuesday than on Valentine's Day. Um, generally speaking, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day. It's not really a thing. A lot of people like that. Yeah. It's not I, a thing. I, I, we, we acknowledge it. We don't I, I celebrate well, actually, I, I I don't even know. We're way. having like ten people over for like a dinner. Oh, that's fun. Which we've never done, but that's kind of a different way to a kind of a fun way to to acknowledge yeah, Valentine's Day. Like I might text him or say in a conversation, "Happy Valentine's Day," and that's pretty much the extent of it. Really? Yeah. You're not looking that's for it. like a like a a, a, a a necklace or a bracelet or a no. Look at you. No, pretty <laughs> pretty low key like that. Diane <laughs> Isaacson. <laughs> Honestly, I not materialistic. <laughs> oh no, I wouldn't go that far. I did. Oh wait, I'm I have sorry. My Let's talk about the Peloton, <laughs> which I love. Good. Um, no, I I grew up. I think I grew up. My parents and my dad had always said they didn't celebrate Valentine's Day. He said, "I think if you need one day to show a person, then you've got you know your own unique set of problems." And that was sort of his ethos. And I've always seen Valentine's Day that as, a, as a thing more like for adolescents and teens. Like it's, it's fun. that. You're just sort of, you know, yeah. learning about girls and boys and relationships. Like, oh, I gave them a flower. That was a thing. I still remember the heart-shaped box of chocolates I got from my quote-unquote boyfriend in seventh grade. When I was at UMass, <laughs> you went to UMass Amherst also. I did. The campus center, you could, like, it was a big deal to, like, oh, send really? a rose. I don't know about that. Send roses to a girl, like, you know. And, and I remember that in high school. I remember that also resulting in people feeling bad. So that's iffy, but. Yeah. Um. On the at the high school level, but yeah, no, just not my, not my cup of tea. Yeah. All right. And you know what else? As a as we're talking about it, I just do Valentine's Day for my son's class and assemble them and do all the stuff. Gosh, I truly despise that. (laughs) So it doesn't help. Is this some? Is this somehow related to teacher gifts? Are you are you part of the whole teacher gift thing? Yes. But we do them as a class. It's out of control. I am we'll all about appreciating for, my teacher. For, for, for we'll just say that for but another it's, day. It's, but, it's um, out of control. My, 
my lack of interest in Valentine's Day has turned into like an anger towards the holiday because I have to tell you sitting and stuffing little tattoos into the tiny slots on the Valentine's Day card and then putting it is mind numbing to me and just angers me. Sorry, that was my rant. All right. Well, (laughs) 1-800-Flowers.com. Interesting story behind that company and uh, it's all right. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Cayenne. All right, let's get started. Cayenne, joining us here also is Shakir Gregory. Yes, welcome, our, Shakir. Our Director of Digital Content and Media Strategy. Hello. Um, let's talk about neologisms. Yes. Right? Neologisms, or essentially new or current colloquialisms that move at rapid speed into our collective uh, you know, culture of language. Um, because of the the speed of digital media, right? Yep. Neologisms is in and of itself a neologism. Oh my god! Very meta. Oh my god! Wow. Gosh. So um, <laughs> spoken like a true millennial. Yes. <laughs> so there is an article recently. Okay, boomer. <laughs> relevant. It's relevant. So there is an article recently in um, Time that talked about how social media is accelerating the rate at which we coin new terms and phrases. Um, And basically, it was talking about the fact that um, it was centered around the phrase, OK, Boomer, which has been, you know, inflaming a lot of debate on social media. And it's kind of leaked out into businesses now. Um, Some are describing it as ageist and others are saying it's not that serious. So um, (laughs) I think I would agree with that. My only concern with it is I don't like to be incorrectly or inaccurately referred to as a boomer because Mm. I think I'm at the very, very uh, early, early uh, part of the Generation X, right? I am not a boomer. The bo- you know. But that's such a literal view of the conversation. Like, I'm proudly it's, Generation X. Oh, I know that. But saying, okay, boomer, is most of the time not actually intended for boomers. anyone that's a baby boomer. No, like, exactly. it's such a yeah, literal. You're out of touch. It's a literal interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is where some of, but I mean, that happens. But is that what it means? Does it mean you're, you're so out of touch? Uh, yes. It, essentially, it basically is like a. Yeah, sure. To an old person. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's basically like, all You're right, not sure. Old. Older. Older. Let's, excuse let's, me. Goodness I, gracious. I've been hit with an, everybody. I've actually been hit with OK Boomer um, by a friend when I mentioned that I didn't know um, there was some show or something that they were mentioning to me, and they were like, "You haven't heard of this?" And I was like, uh, "Is it good?" And they were like, "OK Boomer," and it's okay. I feel like it's most I insulting to someone who is young, because <laughs> yeah, you feel very out of the loop. But it's really just it's like it is like a hand wave, a verbal hand wave, um, yeah. typically directed at older folks. Um, I'd say, uh, and millenn- is it is it a fair generalization to say many millennials look at the boomer generation as this selfish kind of we wrecked America kind of thing? Or yeah, 
Okay. Um, <laughs> Gosh. I, I'm, I'm saying what – I'm just reporting I'm what, just, yeah. what they're saying. All right. I'm not sharing my personal opinion here. But I think that they're uh, – you know, among millennials and Gen Z, with the advent of things like climate change as a major political topic, we're looking at the way that companies are run and we're looking at, you know, emissions and all sorts of, you know, big existential crises. And uh, there's a lot of finger-pointing going on. And I feel like a lot of that um, angst is being channeled into certain phrases like, okay, boomer. <laughs> Um, so this story, by the way, I just want to first say by Katie Steinmetz in time is well written. All of us loving the opening paragraph and the lead here. Is she, the opening paragraph is magnificent. As social media has eaten the world <laughs> and it goes on. I mean, it's, it's great writing. But this really is also taking a look at this idea that there are full on conversations and, and elements of our language that are developing online and digital and social media platforms that are now mm -hmm. finding their way into people's daily lexicon and conversations. And what does it mean if you're not a part of that online conversation and now these terms are like entering into your life and you're trying to figure out what they mean? Mm -hmm. And for a company like you know, dictionary.com has now basically said, we are going to dedicate a section of our site to these new words and phrases that are developing at rapid speed, sometimes are trending, so it's not, you know, they're not going to be Webster's word of the year, but enough that people want to know what it means and they're looking, mm -hmm. and they are recognizing that it, from a business and planning perspective strategically, that they need to give some, some attention to this growing language that is being developed in an online space. Yeah, and following up on that, I think uh, the article is really well written, um, and they make a point to say, you know, language is socially constructed, essentially, and the mediums through which we communicate will affect the pace at which we construct new terms. So, for example, the term anchor used to refer to a ship until television, essentially. And that has shifted in meaning, and that has become uh, a colloquialism, uh, obviously an older one, because everyone knows what an anchor is usually referring to now, which is a television anchor or an anchor of a cable news show. So um, a, a lot of those things are constructed, and the way that we communicate and the forms through which you communicate help shape that. With social media, it's happening faster than uh, it's ever happened before. And I think uh, also to something that Kyan mentioned, for businesses, it is really important because... Uh, as we do here for a lot of our clients, social listening is really key to community, community management and uh, reputation monitoring. So you have to understand what your audience is saying if you're going to accurately interpret and respond to potentially a crisis or feedback from your customer base. So it's good that you know they're introducing this new section to keep people in the know about what people are talking about, especially on social media. And something that might sound like gibberish if you're not aware of what it means, could actually be doing you serious damage because exactly. you don't understand what people are saying about exactly. it. Exactly. So, you know, if, you're, if, if your company is being hit with OK Boomer one too many times, you know, that could possibly signal something a little bit worse than, you know. Um, a being out of touch. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and another thing that I, speaking, you know, on the business angle, one thing that I really have to mention, I think that it's really important for businesses to understand that. But when it comes to what they're communicating, I just want to do a quick public service announcement. You are not Wendy's. Um, I've, there's been a big trend of a lot of uh, social media managers who they see a lot of the colloquialisms, but they're like trying to communicate 
I'd say too colloquially. And unless it makes sense for your brand, I really wouldn't recommend diving too deep into, you know, you know, different slang and different like colloquial phrases. It's good to have an understanding of that. But, you know, remember to all the social media managers out there um, that, you know, communicate in a way that makes sense for your brand. And while people may say that you are representative of something more and to not necessarily fall into the trap of trying to be a Wendy's on Twitter. I think that's well said because, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer as a communicator and a communications advisor and such in clear, concise, traditional yep. communication as something that you can you can never go wrong mm-hmm. by, 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 by communicating. Tried and true. You know, exactly. Exactly. In, in, in the way that people are accustomed to, whether it's a, a business letter or an email mm-hmm. or, or or a tweet that, that just is very clear and concise. You can't go wrong. Exactly. You know? So... And I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a happy medium, you know. Um, I feel like you want to be communicating in a way that you will be understood, but that doesn't mean that you have to be, uh, as people say, throwing shade on Twitter or being snappy or, or spicy in your tweets. That's, that's not necessary to, to be clear and effective in your communications. All right, Shakir Gregory, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Great. Next, an interview with John and Matt Priodo from River's Edge. All right, up next on OA on Air, we're joined by John and Matt Priodo of Priodo Lane and Associates, a development firm uh, and developers of River's Edge in Medford. John and Matt, great to have you here on OA on Air. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks. Also great to be here. Excellent. Talk about River's Edge and and and, and for the listeners of OA on Air, if you're familiar with the sort of broad area around Wellington Circle and that area around uh, Medford and the Malden River uh, and, and also bordering uh, Everett and Somerville, uh, you very likely have at least driven by or maybe even been to River's Edge, but it's a pretty remarkable property along the Malden River. Talk about, John and Matt, uh, you know, how that came about, but, but, but what's there right now in terms of mixed-use office, retail, residential? Mm-hmm. Sure, we have um, two um, Class A office buildings, about 115,000 square foot each. Um, they're about 97% leased to roughly a dozen different tenants. Um, there's 500 apartments, approximately, um, owned by AIG and Hancock, two separate buildings, um, and about 20,000 square feet of retail. Um, we have a southern restaurant and entertainment venue called The Porch there, um, and a market and coffee shop called Free Range Market there as well. And I guess a couple other things that Matt didn't mention. It's this is all set in a on a ten plus acre park that years ago won an award from the Boston Society of Landscape Architects. Really, I mean, we did it. So you may say you're not being objective, but it's a it's a terrific park, um, which is on the Malden River. And as part of the park, um, Tufts University has its boathouse there, out of which its crew teams row. 
and sort of eponymously named the park at River's Edge. Yes. Um, and and I, I have been there many, many times, in all seasons, too. And it is a, a pretty amazing um, uh, public resource. And, and, and let's sort of pivot there, because um, I'm familiar with the project uh, over the years and, and, and remember uh, the, the launch uh, of River's Edge and the development of the park. Um, and it has a pretty amazing story because it was it was it was quite a reclamation, right, of of the river, of the river bank there, and, and all that went into doing uh, 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 the park at River's Edge, and and you did that before you did anything else, right? Well, we really did. The the project, um, Cosmo, as you know, was a, an urban renewal project, and it was designed to encompass three cities: Medford, Malden, and Everett. And we started in Medford, and it, it, at this stage, it appears the other cities may be developed or will likely be developed independently of anything that we're doing. But the site was a, it was a 30-acre site. It was your traditional brownfield site. Uh, there was some rough industrial along the road. The road was then reconstructed. Much of the site was used for container storage. Um, it was... I thought when we began the project, I understood what urban fill was after being involved in this project for a short period of time, I really learned. I mean, we ended up trucking off hundreds of tons of tires and rubber and other kinds of debris that had just been dumped there over the years. And so that was, that was how the project began. And it, um, it, it's, it's really grown from there. As part of it, as, as I think you're aware, there was a, a large barge that had, um, had been abandoned on the riverbank, which by large it was 40 by 270 feet. And so we cut that at the mud line and sold the scrap metal, or a contractor did on our behalf, and trucked it away. And it was, uh, it, there were a lot of things like that that, turned what was really a forgotten site into something today that's quite nice. Yeah. I remember the anecdotal, uh, the anecdotes about the history of, of, of look, of, of what um, the industrial process of, of, of taking whatever garbage there was or whatever refuse or whatever materials or construction materials and, and floating that barge out. This is what, the 1950s? Mid-20th mid century, 1950s, maybe, yeah. 60s, floating that barge out into the harbor and just kind of setting everything on, on the garbage on fire and then bringing it back. And, and, and that was what you did, or that was, that was what they did, right? The sort of, the, 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 the history, the, the shameful history of, of industry in the mid-20th century. Yeah, no, that's what people did. Yeah, yeah and I, I think, you know, that the barge is a metaphor for the site, really, where it, it was just kind of a junky, forgotten, you know, once... Once we redeveloped it, we, we got the comment from a lot of people who grew up in Medford, I never knew there was a river there, yeah. which is just shocking. You know, people Amazing. drive by every day, and it's it's just piles of tires and junk, and, and that's just what the urban film in a lot of parts of this country have become, and I think, uh, you know, it's great to get rid of that. Yeah. So now, so today you've got beautiful public park uh, and walking paths and, 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 and uh, uh, native vegetation and, and the Tufts uh, boathouse and the river's active with, with rowing and, and and you've had community events. You had a great, a wonderful movie night there, uh, and and it's 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 a and this is before you even get to what you've created uh, with 
um, number 200, number 400, the office buildings that Matt talked, talked about, um, your partners uh, with, with the uh, residential, AIG and Hancock. Uh, but let's talk about free range and the porch um, because those are newer elements, uh, relatively more recent, that I think are very exciting um, and, 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 and great, great assets in that, in that community. Sure. So I, th I think, uh, you know, you, you folks are downtown, but as, as you move into the suburbs, um, you really need to differentiate yourself as, you know, there's kind of this a negative image of a suburban office park where you go there to work, you get in your car, and you drive home at the end of the night, and they're just kind of sleepy, boring places, and we're, we're trying to move past that. So um, we found a, a southern restaurant that was in Wakefield that had a pretty good following, um, called the porch that was looking to relocate to something larger um, and it, it took about two years of working with them um, a talented architect named Stack and Company um, who also built a, the space um, to, to build kind of a destination venue they have some live music they have pool tables they have um, a private dining room um, they've got a smoker they, they make great barbecue as well as other um, southern food um, and, and we felt that it was important to give, especially some of our tenants that have younger employees, we heard repeatedly, you know, we want to go somewhere as a team after work and have happy hour. And now they can just walk across the street, and, and they've, they've used it a lot for that. Um, and then similarly, free-range market, um, you know, I, I drank a lot of coffee. I, I was looking for somewhere, you know, I, I, it's a little selfish if you, what, what could I use? But, you know, hopefully you're a decent sample size. Um, you know, uh, somewhere that you could run and get a sandwich um, or a cup of coffee um, or even just stop and grab milk and, and strawberries on the way home. Um, and so we, we found um, the partner of the porch who um, sourced, you know, hundreds of artisanal, um, you know, potato chips to coconut water, um, buys the finest produce that he can get from, um, from the Boston Produce Market. Um, and I think it's become a it's become a real amenity for our tenants as well, um, and and hopefully someday a destination for the community. Excellent, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 a great uh, it's a great community market. I've been there a number of times, and uh, and I think that's what you've built there is, is is a sense of of community within, you know, something that that I don't think would be correctly described as just oh, a suburban office park. It's it's really a neighborhood. That you're building there uh, around that. We're talking to, we've been talking to John and Matt Priotel of Priotel Lane and Associates and Developers of Rivers Edge. Do you think, John, that the model you established, do the community benefit first? And, and, I, and I, I covered mm -hmm. for years, I, I, as a journalist, I covered development and, and, and I'm involved in a lot of projects now uh, here with O'Neill and Associates. And, and, and community benefits are almost always attached to a large scale project. But they're kind of like, oh yeah, and we got to do that, too, right? <laughs> but the model you established was let's do let's let's build some credibility, let's build some equity in the community by delivering that before anything else. Is that a model that can work elsewhere? Maybe not on every project, but in, in other areas. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I guess it, part of it depends on the cost and the capital availability and one's commitment, but. Our goal when we started was to try to build a great project. Now, I don't know, maybe you'd look at it and say, well, it's not great, but it's quite good. And the park was, was really critical, um, a, a critical component to building what we would hope would be a great project. And by doing it first, um, I think it helped every other 
component of the project. Candidly, I think it helped us with the communities. I mean, there's a story about a willow tree that we thought was gone. There were rats in it. This is right on the river. There were rats in it. There were batteries that had been left there. And the community, there was a community group, because it was an urban renewal project, a citizen's advisory board, and they kept saying, you got to try to save the willow tree. And we talked to experts, and they said, you're not going to save this tree. <laughs> and so we spent more time. We said, okay, if we're going to try to save it, how much would it cost? And we came up with a budget, and we said, all right, well, let's spend that money, and let's see. And if we fail, then we will write it off to a public relations expenditure. Yeah. And as it turned out, we didn't fail. And, you know, we had force feeding, and we created, I don't know, um, areas around the roots. And the, the tree has been wonderfully successful. And for everything we've done there, and, and there's, I think there's some good stuff. I mean, both the office buildings are, are pretty unique buildings. Uh, they're, they're, the first is Gold Lead certified. We think the second hopefully will be as well. I mean, they're really some of the better office yeah, I, buildings. I think we, could, I mean, we haven't even talked yeah. about the, 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 you've got a conference room, which it feels like you're having a yeah. conference meeting in the park because you're surrounded by, yeah. by windows. Anyway, so, yeah, so I think that's fine. I think the residential, excellent. Part, but the one thing most people talk about when they come there for the first time is the willow tree. Willow tree. All right. Okay. So, now so we've done all these other things, but the willow tree is um, – is sort of at the top of the list. So I, th I do think it makes a lot of sense to do that. I, um, and I, I don't know, I think by creating an, the right environment, it certainly helps your project. And if you, you know, if, you, if there are public benefits as part of the project, then you should try to build those as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, great, uh, great words to live by. So Matt, there we got our two metaphors. The barge is a metaphor <laughs> for the site pre-River's Edge. And now we get the willow tree, which is the metaphor for the so rebirth. I yeah, love rebirth. it. I love yeah. it. Okay, yeah, that's probably so. true. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. All right, John and Matt Priotto. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on OA on Air. It's been a pleasure having okay, you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Cosmo. Thanks to John and Matt for joining us. Up next, two minutes with Tom. Hi, Kyan. Hello, Tom. Two Minutes with Tom, edition 8080. 80? What a nice round number. Yeah, 80. it is. Yeah, there's something calming about it, isn't it? I like it. Does yep. it feel like we've done this 80 yeah. times to but you? I'm not, I'm not calm today. You're not. You're actually, um, you're very impassioned and a little fired up today. I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about uh, our country and our administration, and I don't want to be overly dramatic or melodramatic. I, I want to be, I want to be. I think it's warranted. I want to be. I want to be in a warning way, to the American public, talking about what happened yesterday with the Department of Justice's rolling back the design sentencing of not the Department of Justice, but by the sentencing criteria put out by the Sentencing Board. Um, and I'm talking about you know a very significant case of not one but two individuals who were found guilty. Um, of their allegations of working in the interest of the Trump administration campaign, or Trump campaign back in 2016, uh, were found guilty. And the subscribed sentences for them were the guideline sentences that any Department of Justice 
prosecutor would have brought in those cases. Yes. To have William Roger Barr, Stone. the Attorney General of the United States, play a political role in pulling back on those guidelines is an obstruction of justice, number one, and an obstruction, an obstruction of the rule of law <clears throat> for our country. And it shows that this Attorney General is willing to play politics over the interests of our judicial system. It's wrong. It's categorically wrong, and it's dangerous. I, I will tell you that if, if, if this justice it can be bottomed out to the Trump administration because of their politics, it means that when Trump calls for the removal of a member of the press corps, he'll get it done. This is Gestapoism, and it's wrong. And it made me sick when I heard about it last uh, yesterday afternoon. And I haven't been able to think about it or anything else until I saw something in the New York Times this morning about the Philippine president, Duat, taking away the privileges of the U.S. military in the country of the Philippines, something we've enjoyed for decades following World War II, to give independence and, and serenity to the people of the Philippines and the Philippinian government, Filipino government. Uh, for Duat to turn that attention away from the U.S. military, it means that he is being complicit with the Chinese government in the South China Sea. For that area of the world, it takes away a lot of stabilization in a highly dangerous thing. And for the Trump administration to allow it to have happened, an extraordinary, an extraordinary feat. Yeah. It's just extraordinary to what they're doing to destroy the comfort, the nature, the equality of the world balance. And between the Justice Department and that, I, I, I've just lost my appetite, and I, and I get sick to my stomach over it. So, and That's what I'm feeling bad about today, and I, and I just don't want to shut up about it. And I don't care who is offended by my thoughts. I want to just, in a, in a way, kind of guide people to what the reality is, what's going on, what truly is going on, and that shouldn't be overlooked. It happened back in the Nixon era, by the way, with, with DOJ, when Nixon tried to get them to quash the, the hearings for the Nixon, Nixon impeachment. They walked out. Mm-hmm. The justices, pardon me, the, the, uh, the Attorney General of the United States walked out in what was then called the Saturday Night Massacre. And it, it, it didn't happen that way here. But the prosecutors left, thank God, standing up for what they thought was right and not kowtowing to the AG or to the President of the United States. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, we are talking about the sentencing of Roger Stone, That's who right. is a friend, colleague, guiding post, all of those things for Advisor and friend for, for, for the, during the, for the president the um, and prior to. Um, and I think it's important to note, too, that when we were talking about this last night, actually, that this comes less than a week after being acquitted of in the impeachment proceedings for corruption interference um you know it it really is sort of the direction it's very clear um you know what what we're Mm. kind of dealing with right i think i appreciate your passion thanks guys thanks That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Don't forget to subscribe, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever your favorite listening platform may be. 
You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.